courage. Tapping into our best selves requires courage. We have to speak out against various forms of injustice. We have to speak out against dehumanizing practices that have always been, and as long as we use continue with this social form, will continue to be quite profitable. Social in terms of social status for those who are in power, as well as in terms of financial capital. You know, so being courageous means being willing to pay a price for the sake of flourishing and virtue. This is Leading Up, a podcast from Udemy Business. Our guests share the advice, insights, and inspiration to help you transform as a leader. I'm Alan Todd, your host and the Vice President of Leadership Development at Udemy. Together, we can work, lead, and live differently. As leaders, we have the momentous task of maximizing human potential. This is challenging and important work, but how do we even get started? Dr. Laura Morgan Roberts joins us this week to break this down. She is an organizational psychologist who specializes in strength-based practices. She's a professor of business administration at the Darden School of Business at University of Virginia. She's taught at Harvard Business School, Georgetown, University of Michigan, the Wharton School, and she's also the author of the Alignment Quest Toolkit. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Alan. I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about maximizing human potential? What does that mean to you? And how did you come to choose to work on that? So maximizing human potential means being in a continual zone of growth. And what comes with that zone of growth is a set of aspirations. It's a discovery process. And it's associated with the desire for a positive impact, Alan. So, you know, the maximizing the the human potential isn't just like be the best I can be because that's going to help me get ahead. That's going to help me get really rich. That's going to, you know, make things better for me individually. It's about really living into the strength and the possibility that each of us has to have a tremendous positive impact on our world, to solve longstanding problems and challenges, to innovate, to create, to make life more beautiful, to make the planet even more generative and and resource rich and abundant, to build deeper and more powerful connections across people you know, here on the planet to help people feel more connected to a deeper and broader sense of significance that extends across generations and that has an eye toward the future. So, you know, maximizing human potential really encapsulates for me the possibility that each of us hold and the brilliance that each of us has, that if we could just tap into that and put it all together we could create a better world in our present and in our future. It's not easy. These are really challenging problems. Times have not gotten any simpler. And every era has its own set of challenges, for sure. But I I fundamentally believe that each of us has within us 
more than a single stroke of genius. We have a repository of brilliance that is so valuable for this world. And if we can unlock that, if we can tap into that, if we can encourage that and amplify that, we would be able to thrive and flourish individually and collectively in ways that uh, we simply haven't yet as humans. You've described, Laura, as eloquently as I've heard, a new model for leadership, right? You know, there are dozens of studies you're familiar with all of the, about employee disengagement and some of these things that point to a model of leadership that just isn't working. Why do you think the state of leadership is, is so bad today? Oh, dear, Alan. (laughs) When you ask that question, I just have a a visual and auditory catalog on replay of news clippings just from the past week. And I say, oh, dear, we could take one tragic incident, one crisis after another, and explore through the outcomes of those crises, the destruction, the loss of life. The lack of compassion, the opposite of maximizing individual and collective potential, actually, you know, trying to enforce through through violence, through policy, the restriction of that experience or those forms of, of flourishing and thriving. So what's at the root at the risk of being reductionistic? You know, there's a there's a risk in oversimplifying the nature of these challenges and problems. There's a risk in being overly reductionistic, putting so much responsibility on leader A or leader B and not recognizing or acknowledging the ways in which so many people are co-conspiring in creating these damaging, destructive outcomes that we are experiencing right now. I hesitate to overweight the role that a formal leader plays. That said, the questions for me are around a lack of clarity, a lack of courage, a lack of social consciousness, and a lack of compassion. And these are the four elements that are essential for authentic leadership. Authentic leaders are the ones who are able to help us to tap into our individual and collective potential. So you have to have clarity about your values, have clarity about your actions, have clarity about your intentions, but also have some degree of clarity about the impact that you're having on others. You know, who am I at my best? Is my leadership currently reflecting my best self, my mediocre self, or my worst self? Because my worst self is driven by fear. It's driven by greed. It's driven by ego. It's driven by power hoarding. It's driven by zero-sum ideologies that says the only way that I and people that I care about can continue to accrue power and status in this society is by putting down and restricting the power, the status, and the freedoms of others, right? So clarity. In what zone am I operating as a leader? Two, courage. Tapping into our best selves requires courage. We have to speak out against various forms of injustice. We have to speak out against dehumanizing practices that have always been, and as long as we use continue with this social form, will continue to be quite profitable. 
social in terms of social status for those who are in power, as well as in terms of financial capital. You know, so being courageous means being willing to pay a price for the sake of flourishing and virtue. The third conscientiousness, am I reading the environment? Am I aware of what people are experiencing? Do I have a good pulse on what the culture is seeking right now? And then the fourth is the compassion. And so, Alan, this is the piece where I say, you know, you might call that the soft stuff, but the soft stuff is the hard stuff because the compassion is noticing and acknowledging the suffering that people are facing And then responding to the suffering. That's Jane Dutton and Monica Warline's vantage point on compassion. It's noticing the suffering and responding. So you mentioned courage and you also mentioned something about, you know, fear and greed and ego. And I'm wondering how how do people develop the courage to calm or quiet their ego such that they can unmask, right? We we all lead lives of quiet desperation, right? We wear masks to hide such things. And you've studied this quite a bit. So how is it that people build the courage or develop the courage to stand up, stand out, do the, do what they have to do? So some people think courage is evidenced by unfiltered self-expression. Oh, the courage, courageous person, the brave person just says what they think. You know, they speak their mind. Courage is deeper than that. Courage, I think, is more connected to the compassion than the impulse of self-expression. The impulse of self-expression, that's the ego. So um, we may not want to wear the kinds of masks that deceive other people about who we are or that, you know, block or suppress the very best of who we are. Uh, But I think all leaders can benefit from a good filter. And sometimes courage comes through in what you say and what you don't say, because you recognize the power of your words and the impact that your words can have on others. So that's the first piece in the connection with mask and and authenticity. A good filter, as, as we also learned with masking, is really important. Now, the other piece I think of courage is being willing to pay the price. What's at stake? And then what I talk about what's behind the silence, what's behind the mask, what's often at stake is a positive identity. People are worried if I speak up, if I stand out, if I acknowledge that some mistakes have been made, if I own my own ignorance about a particular topic and say, hey, I've I still have a lot to learn. If I speak out and say, I I have benefited from unjust practices, I have benefited from undue privilege, and I want to create a system that's more fair and equitable. Those are all important, courageous disclosures. But for many people, they put a positive identity at risk. If I speak out and speak up in those ways, what will people think about me? Will they think less highly of me? How will that impact my reputation? So they have an identity concern. Will I lose status? Will I lose future leadership opportunities? Will I have to sacrifice my family's economic security? You know, so the identity concerns are not just psychological. They are practical as well, right? There are real life implications for making decisions that other powerful people 
do not agree with and have the leverage to wield some consequences for those decisions. So what will I lose? Will it make me look bad? And then the other piece that we're coming in, I think, is really the lack of courage. And this is the fear and the ego. But many leaders don't even get to, will I look bad or will I lose something concretely? It's just, will it make me feel bad? Courage is being able to be uncomfortable, like have an uncomfortable conversation, sit in uncomfortable spaces, go learn about things about the world that are unsettling and that make you uncomfortable. Once you have a leadership role or position, if you're fairly well-resourced and you are able to live a relatively safe life on a day-to-day basis, it's easy to lose sight of what other people in the world are experiencing who don't have that same level of security and safety. So we often avoid those tough conversations, the difficult conversations about, you know, social inequality, about environmental threats, about lack of of resources and needs. But within our organizations, we also have a lack of psychological safety. And many leaders are responsible for that as well. You create an environment where people are afraid to tell you what they think because they don't want to make you uncomfortable. And so you continue to remain sort of in that bubble and making a a set of decisions that are not benefiting the whole. It's interesting as you talk about all of these various, you start to unpack all of these things around authenticity and the courage to speak up and stand out and do these things. And you went exactly where I was thinking, which is move it up a couple notches to senior leaders. And are they willing to create the conditions and shape the environment for people to feel safe enough to dare? Are they willing to be vulnerable? I think there's a there's a movement afoot that you can sort of visibly see and people are struggling with it. So I think we're between two worlds at my assessment. It's kind of the old world and the new world and the new world wants to be safe enough to dare, flourishing, vulnerable senior leaders. You know, a lot of us grew up in a world where, you know, vulnerability was terrible. Don't ever show it and fit in at all costs, like the opposite of what we're going. So what do you think about the the senior leader role for those that are listening? How can they help the masses in the organization be their more authentic self and and show up and bring their their whole self to work and, and get the whole thing sort of achieving that new model of leadership that you so eloquently articulated in the opening. I love your invitation here, Alan, because it does come with the recognition that we're in a new era. We're in a new era and being in a new era requires social experimentation. We are all trying out new forms of authenticity that we have not yet embodied. We have not experienced. For instance, The summer of 2020, I was called in to work with countless organizations who were hosting fireside chats, focus group sessions, town halls, surveys, learning and development programs. Some of them were one time, one day call meeting, fireside chat with the CHRO, hundreds of corporations that employ hundreds of thousands of individuals, right? And they're doing ask me anything sessions with me about 
racial injustice and why George Floyd was murdered, uh, but more importantly, why people were reacting so strongly to that and what should organizations do? You know, these were all of the questions that people had. And I would tell you, Alan, most of the people from the CEOs down to the frontline workers had never had conversations with this level of transparency in the workplace before. I mean, you talk about taking off the mask and really sharing what your experiences were like. It was a huge awakening for many individuals who thought, in fact, that they had been doing the work. They had been showing up. They had been investing in trying to build a more inclusive, equitable workplace, and they didn't know that many people were suffering and struggling and just not feeling safe and welcome to share their ideas, much less able to grow and tap into their best selves. So all of that happens, Alan, in the summer of 2020. And then by January 2021, nobody knows what to do. Now the cat's out the bag and people don't know how to interact with each other because they have now made themselves more vulnerable than they had before. And everybody is sort of looking at each other like, now what do we do? I think that, so that has been a, an organization-wide and school-wide phenomenon. And we've seen two very different reactions. As you portrayed it, Alan, one reaction is, let's put all that stuff back in the box and go back the way that things were. I would, please, can we rewind the clock 50 years from now and let's not talk about these things at work. Matter of fact, let's not talk about these things in schools. Let's not even talk about these things at college. We just, these conversations are very uncomfortable. They make me feel badly about myself as a person who is used to being more comfortable in organizational settings. And so I think the solution is, Let's not do that anymore, right? Well, now, two, three years later, we're coming back for many people into a more professionalized experience where the norms were that we compartmentalize that, we sanitize that. So you're right. We don't really know what to do. The prior script is one that many people are trying to put back in place. But Alan, it's not working. So now we need a new set of tools to be able to build high quality connections where there's some degree of real, genuine, sincere disclosure. We need to be able to create environments of psychological safety so that we understand the uh, the most generative and healthy healthy ways to share parts of our valued identities with one another think for the vision and the security of our future, we have to continue to learn from and learn across differences. And authenticity and vulnerability are essential for that work. I feel like we're in the transition. There's kind of a new awakening to a new model of leadership, and I'll call it the, the Laura Morgan Roberts model of leadership. But we're kind of stuck like sand in the gears. So for example, and you touched on it. First of all, I everything you said about from having these really difficult conversations, I talked to a lot of senior leaders in organizations that said, I've never dealt with this ever in my career. I've been at XYZ, big Fortune 500 company for 30 years. These are the undiscussables. So they were bringing those out for the first time. And then 
And then when you add in the pandemic, remote work and hybrid work, and we've done a bunch of research on that, and basically we're just not in a good way, right? So the people are are hurting right now. They're not feeling a sense of belonging. They're kind of disconnected. You can see lots of research on all the buzzwords, quiet quitting, great resignation, whatever it is, we're stuck. There's this awareness now of a new way, but we haven't quite figured it out. I think that's sort of what you're saying. Do you think that's where we are? I do think that's where we are. And corporate executives have a tremendous amount of power, which also means they have within them a lot of tools, a lot of resources to be able to meet this moment in more innovative and creative ways. But it's going to require them uh, continuing to experiment with that clarity, the courage, the conscientiousness, and especially with the compassion. It's like you said, many leaders, many CEOs, oh, gosh, I've, I've never done a Zoom from my kitchen table before with, you know, never had my kids in a board meeting before, but, you know, they popped up and here they were. And I think the subtext is, and I hope I never have to do that again. <laughs> like, that was really hard and I never want to do that again. Versus those who said that was really hard, but it was worthwhile. And I could see how it helped us to build a stronger organization and or how it was essential for us to keep the organization afloat, you know, through that period of time. And and therefore, there's some value in it as well. buzz around Gen AI isn't going anywhere. Leaders and managers are key to identifying how their companies can use the technology and creating a plan to grow their employees' skills. Learn how Udemy can help at business.udemy.com forward slash Gen AI now. Let's imagine now we're speaking to people early in their career and the exact same conversation right now. They're saying, I'm worried about my job. These unilateral mandates about how, when and where work will be done. That doesn't make me happy. And now I'm wondering, what can we do about it? What's your advice? How do you get people to think about, let's go back to hope and positivity. Where do they get that inner strength? Because that's how people are feeling right now. I think there's overwhelming evidence Agreed. I would say the overwhelming evidence is that more people aren't feeling great than ever before. We've always had workers who have been disenfranchised and who have had suboptimal experiences at work, to say the least. That is becoming more widespread. And because it's becoming more widespread and it's touching more people who have access to different platforms. It's more widely known. So what are the possibilities? Where's the agency in light of all of these challenges? Here's where I go back to that work that I was introduced to in early 2000s on The Best Self. Here's our anchor for power and hope and navigating our way forward. 
it starts with constructing and sustaining positive identities. Okay. So many of the destructive choices that have brought about damaging consequences, they're initiated by people who don't have a positive sense of self. And that leads to reckless and damaging behavior. So I always go back there as the foundation. And then I tell people, you know, here are three things you need to do. Redefine, realign, redesign. I write poetry, so it works for me that way. But redefine, redefine yourself in a way that recognizes and honors your strengths, your talents, and your contributions. What is that spark of brilliance that you bring that helps to create positive value added experiences for other people in the world. And that helps to strengthen the world itself to be a better place, to move us toward that vision. We all have it. That's that connection with our best self. So redefine. We spend so much time thinking about our shortcomings and our flaws and our mistakes and our deficiencies, that they become this looming cloud of threat and insecurity. And then we spend so much time and energy trying to punch down on other people so that we can feel better about ourselves. We don't have to do that. There are other pathways for building a positive sense of self. Thinking about the best self, redefining in that way is first. Then second, realigning. We talked about this with the leadership questions. What any senior leader should ask, am I bringing my best self to the moment? Am I bringing my typical mediocre self to the moment? Which is understandable because when you're feeling overwhelmed and inundated and pulled in a million directions, you know, sometimes you're not at the top of your game and we recognize that it's ambitious to want somebody to be able to operate at that level all day, every day. But to what extent am I aligning my actions, my choices, putting myself in the kinds of situations that can help to bring out my best self? If I'm finding myself in the zone of worst self, the ego, the greed, the fear, how am I going to realign my actions? Do I need to change my context, my environment? Do I need to change my routines for how I'm caring for myself or not caring for myself? What do I need to do to realign? The third is redesign. And this is where we're seeing already, and we've been seeing this for 20 years, much earlier active career mobility for younger generations. What do I mean by that? They leave jobs much sooner than their older counterparts would have. So they're already more attuned to redesigning their life. And so I think we all need to just expect that and enjoy the ride and think about what we can co-create together in our time together and not expect a long-term commitment. They can be filled with mutuality. We can have a very fruitful exchange and a set of mutually gratifying experiences, but we may not be looking for the same version of belonging, Alan. And that's okay. If that if that's part of the redesign you know, that's okay, but know that and still honor your commitments. But you don't have to promise that you're going to be in this particular role at this particular organization in perpetuity. 
Because that's simply not not likely. Right. When we get that right, how do we springboard from getting our best self to helping to get the best in others or get the best out of others? Same process, Alan, exact same process. Redefine, realign, redesign. Redefine, be a strength spotter. As John Maxwell said, if you're looking for gold, you're going to move a lot of dirt away in the process. But you're clear about what you're looking for. So when you find those specks of gold, you're going to grab onto them. Likewise, sometimes our development work and our work with colleagues and coworkers means we've got to move a lot of dirt out of the way. But there's something in there. There's a gem, James Dutton used to say about my writing. And I wasn't the only one, but I'll name myself. You know, she would read through it and there'd be a lot of red ink over a lot of pages. But she was always very intentional about saying, here's what I see as the gem in this version or in this piece or in what you're trying to do in your work. And then that at least gives them a line of sight to where they can continue to to try to channel their effort and their energy. Because otherwise people are just, they're going to throw darts in all directions, hoping that something eventually sticks. So you've got to give them some insight on how to do that, then give them some guidance on the realignment. You know, what needs to be calibrated in terms of strength? Are they bringing their best selves? What's happening when they're out of their best self zone? You know, what are things that are triggering and pushing them into that ego defensive zone? And how can we develop some skills and tactics to help them deal with that? If there are some important components of your job, they're really essential, but you're only mediocre, then you need to find some teammates. You need to find some collaborators that are going to help to make sure that the team can flourish in that area, even if that is not your individual sweet spot. And it's the manager's responsibility to know that about themselves, but also to be able to have that sense of what's going on with your different members of your teams. So redefine, realign, and sometimes... You might have to coach or encourage somebody along the way as they're seeking to redesign their lives. When I chose to leave my first faculty position, most people didn't understand that choice and were very concerned by the choice because I was a tenure track faculty member. I was at an Ivy League institution and you just don't leave those kinds of jobs unless somebody makes you or you have something better lined up, neither of which was the case for me. But just for the purpose of best self-alignment, it wasn't the right time, right place for me. But the people, the people who were critical players then and have remained key mentors, sponsors, and friends to me over the course of the years, They continue to encourage and support and help to connect me with different opportunities along the way so that my best self could continue to grow and flourish through all of that. I'm deeply grateful for that. I think that's a very powerful lesson, Laura, that you were willing to close down a door and multiple new doors opened. You stepped forward into a new reality and made great things happen and went to a whole new level. And I think a lot of people struggle and they don't make the decision that you made. So I think that's a lesson in courage and and purpose. 
All right, Laura, final question that we ask all of our guests, what are you curious about and learning now? Inside work, scholarship, outside, anything. Yeah, I spend most of my time thinking about uh, freedom at work. That's my puzzle. I continue to compose poetry and publish and share that work when the moment is right and the time is right. And so I've done some of that. But what's really sort of in in my <laughs> mental chamber every day is the question of freedom and freedom at work and what that looks like on multiple levels, psychological, sociological, organizational experiences as well. Laura, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Alan. Thank you so much for listening to Leading Up, a podcast from Udemy Business. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode to help you level up your leadership skills. Follow the show so you never miss a new episode. And if you like the show, leave a rating or a review. We love the feedback and it really helps us find new listeners. To learn more about Leading Up or how Udemy can help you develop leaders at scale and move business forward, visit business.udemy.com. The Leading Up podcast is produced by Udemy in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Alex Vickmanis, Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Danielle Roth, and Carter Wogan. Our original theme is by Soundboard.